Singing. Greetings, Redeemer family, and welcome back to Redeemer Radio. I am Ross, joined by Dan and Sean, and we are continuing our season looking at the Psalms and the gift of emotions, and we've looked at hurt and sadness and loneliness and fear and anger, and we are not letting our feet off the gas. We are continuing. Um, we're talking about shame today, and we've definitely got our work cut out for us. And, uh, of course, shame is a pretty heavy topic, so we thought we'd start off on a little lighter note and each share some embarrassing stories from our own lives, maybe things that aren't as deeply shameful but still have a level of embarrassment. So who wants to start off? I mean, I can go. He just asked a few minutes ago, so I do have to give that disclaimer, and most of the embarrassing things are probably a little more PG-13 and from my younger days, so I can't go there. Nice. But uh, on my 40th birthday, the bunch of the folks in church threw me a surprise birthday party, and I had no clue. So I'm sitting in my house, and uh, Dave Larson and Randy Boss come into the house and grab me, and they have, I think they had fake guns or something, and... Uh, they were taking me outside, and they're like, all right, we're throwing you in the trunk. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm like, well, let's just get a picture of it. Let's just pretend. So I'm like, okay. So I start to get into the trunk, and the security from my neighborhood starts to drive by. And I'm like, oh, my oh, gosh, what are they going to think goodness. in this moment? And so I'm I'm a little embarrassed, and they're going by. The security guy just keeps driving. Two guys are putting me in the trunk of my car, and they're like, yeah, that guy's pretty big. I'm not going to deal with him. They just drove on by. Wow. So, But thankfully, then they put me in the in the back seat and I didn't have to ride in the trunk. But nice. and it was a great party. That's cool. That's a good one. I thought you were going to share that you were wearing a blanket during our uh, <laughs> podcast recording session. Uh folks, that's what I thought you were going to Now I have but, shame. Um now <laughs> thanks for heaping shame on I'm, me because yeah. I'm cold this morning. We'll reconcile later. It's fine. Yeah. Um wow. I think I'm walking out. <laughs> My story is back from summer camp as you can imagine plenty of embarrassing things happen in the context of being a summer camp counselor. Uh, one of our most intense weeks was a boys versus girls week. We would do competitions and prank wars and things like that. And I had a I had a, a big old tin full of whipped cream. It was a hot summer day, and I was ready to pie the girl the our our camp director who was a, who was a girl right in the face right as she's leading assembly in front of 500 kids. So I run up on stage. And she turns at the last second and sees me and stiff arms me. And I go straight down onto my back. <laughs> oh, and the, the whipped cream falls all, all over me and all over my face oh, and everything. Oh, and, and, and she, I, you know, in front of the director, who's my boss, and these 500 kids who are just staring at me and laughing hysterically. And I'm just on my back with whipped cream all over me. And she stiff armed me right onto the stage. I mean, it was just, you know, one of those things I'll never forget and never live down. So, yeah. Wow. That's. That's a good one. Uh, one I thought of was a couple years ago, I had a family over. This was at my church in Florida, and we were going to grill some hamburgers. And the starter, the little button for starting it, the grill, was not working. So I turned the gas really high, and then I clicked the starter, and it wasn't going. So I was like, ah, oh, i got to go in and get a, a lighter. Left the gas on. Oh, no. Yep. So I... Thankfully, I didn't have one of my little kids in my arms, and I come back out, and, uh, you know, I, I barely just touched that lighter and just poof, this cloud of, you know, um, fire, just light, you know, the grill lights up, and so unbeknownst to me, my um, eyebrows were singed, Yes, and um, some of my, like, facial hair, I didn't have, a, like, in, like, my arm hair. So I sit down once I got it all done, and Sarah 
looks at me like, "What happened to your face?" Like the 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 the, the, the hairline too had been singed. Yeah. The hairline. Yeah. And so this family, he's an elder in our church, is sitting with us, and I just look like a mess. And uh, it was, and and then of course that story got out, and it was kind of the, it was a story that I heard many more times over the next few years. As you should. Yes. Well, um, yeah, that's that's kind of a, a brief introduction to shame, just that sense of that being exposed. Um, Ed Welch wrote a really good book on shame. Uh, he's a Christian counselor. Um, a number of years ago, he wrote the book, and he has a poem in the book that I wanted to start off by reading. He says, You are shunned. Faces are turned away from you. They ignore you as if you didn't exist. You are naked. Faces are turned toward you. They stare at you as if you were hideous. You are worthless. And it's no secret. You are of little or no value to those whose opinions matter to you. So, Dan and Sean, what are your initial reactions to that poem? Man, that's crushing. I mean, that's just to imagine someone experiencing that consistently is just heartbreaking. Yeah, I think it does a. Uh, I think he does a good job of capturing. You know, he's probably got a lot of experience hearing from people deeply, deeply suffering with shame, right? Yeah. And and I think it's a. It sounds like I don't know. It probably sounds like the moment that, and we're going to talk about this, that Adam and Eve realize that they're naked, right? And mm-hmm. and and what happens after the fall, and it, I think it captures that. It's it's, not, it's just yeah, very heavy. Um, yeah, I think it captures it well. Yeah, I thought he. I read another article by him that. I think sums it up with a question. Do you feel unlovable? Mm. And I I think most of the people who I sit down and with and I'm talking about their life, somewhere in there, they don't feel lovable, whether it's from their spouse, from the Lord, from friends, mm. um, from people who have hurt them. I mean, so I, I think it is. I think we all feel that sense of being unlovable and that, rejected or worthless kind of feeling that he described there in the poem. Yeah, no, this definitely, um, you know, you just kind of dive right into the deep end with this poem, but uh, that that really helps capture just the depth and the foundational just nature of, of shame and how it affects our lives and how painful it is. Um, Brene Brown has written a lot on shame. She's, you know, done tons of research on shame. She has a definition that I'm actually going to tweak a little bit. This Her definition of shame is it's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I switch that a little bit. I would say it's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are unworthy of love and belonging because of our flaws. So I kind of switch it to saying because of our flaws. You know, we are new creations in Christ. We are genuinely new, but not completely new. Um, This side of glory, we still have areas of growth. And so I think the only part of our definition I don't like is the sense that we don't have any flaws. And I think there's this now and not yet of the Christian life. I think would say that we have flaws, but in Christ, um, we can move beyond them. And so I want to kind of break that definition down even further, kind of line by line. So it starts off the, 
shame is the, an intensely painful feeling. And I think when you look at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, you see one of the reasons why it's such an intensely painful feeling. Um, the very last verse of Genesis 2, right before the fall in Genesis 3, it ends, the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. And I think that choice of words is very instructive on just the place of shame in the fall. You know, there's so many things that Moses could have written there. The man and his wife were both naked and were really happy, or they were naked and very and strong or confident or without fear or anger or sadness or disappointment. But it says they were naked and unashamed. So why choose that word? And, and Kurt Thompson, another Christian counselor, he says, I would suggest that the writer wants us to pay attention to shame, not just because it happens to show up later, but because of its central role in all that ends in a curse. And then he kind of walks through how shame really played a role in Adam and Eve's and in the fall and how Satan really got them to feel shame. Um, and that really moved them to, to act in unhelpful ways. So it's this intensely painful feeling or experience. Shame is an experience. And, and the Bible talks about that. Psalm 44 says, my disgrace is before me all day long and my face is covered with shame. Uh, we, we really wear shame on our bodies. And then the definition goes on. It's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing. And I just want to stop there on that word believing. I think that's an important word. Dana, Sean, why do you think that's an important part of a definition of shame? In pre-production, we talked a little bit about this. I think a, a challenge for me is just distinguishing between guilt and shame. Mm. And so when I hear believing these things, you know, guilt is feeling bad for things you've done. Mm -hmm. And I think shame is really saying, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Like I am worthless. I am a failure. I am a failure of a dad or a failure of a husband or failure as a Christian or failure as a worker. And it becomes a belief system by which we root our identity yeah. in, a, in a destructive pattern. Yeah. When we turn it to the positive, you know, we can know a lot of intellectual facts about the Bible and a, a lot of intellectual things about God, you know, just in our brain. But when they when we live out of those realities in, in you know, in him, we tend to live lives that are in service of others, it, bringing glory to God, things like that. So when you flip it and you believe that suddenly n none of those things are true, it's not just thinking and knowing about your sin, but but living out of the reality that the sin is all of who you are. Um mm. That's that difference in believing and just thinking or knowing. Um, yeah, it's an important factor that, that drives our shame is just believing many of the lies the evil one likes to insert into our thinking. So it's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are unworthy of love. And this starts sort of the, the three-part def definition of shame that Ed Welch has. He, he uses the three categories of shame as feeling worthless, rejected, and exposed. And so this Brene Brown definition gets at that. It's believing we are unworthy of love, so worthless, unworthy of love and belonging. And so that's that feeling of rejected, feeling like an outcast um, and not good enough. And then because of our flaws, and that's that sense of being exposed, our flaws are exposed. So shame is the fear of being seen. Um, Dane Allender says it's the traumatic exposure of nakedness. If you see me as I am, you would reject me. And, uh, you know, nakedness kind of becomes a symbol of shame in the Bible after Genesis 2. And so, you know, 
you could say something you think is funny in a social setting, but then it isn't, and you feel embarrassed. Um, you you know you make a public mistake. Um, you maybe even I th- even think of like being new at a workplace. You're starting a new job. You know you, where you're going to make a lot of mistakes probably as you're learning in a place where you feel more safe and you feel more known, where you are, can make mistakes and 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 people still know that you're worthy starting a new job can be a place where you're very vulnerable to shame. Um, you know, shame really affects depression. You know, on the surface, you can feel super sad and, and can't feel happiness or hope, but underneath there's this sense of feeling irredeemable. No one can help me. Um, anxiety that we've already kind of talked about in some ways you could say anxiety is the fear of shame, the fear of being exposed. Um, or even social ex- social anxiety. I can't bear to be exposed as an outsider. I will be rejected because that's what always happens. And, um, you know, another thing about shame is that it, it exposes our idols. I think that's an important part of, of kind of what shame can do um, in, a, in a, I guess, a good way for Christians. Um you know, Isaiah 42, but those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. And Dan Allender says, um, shame exposes what we worship. And so one, one person we read talks about some of the ways shame can be a gift, which is not a very common way to think of shame. Um, but, but because our minds and our hearts can feel shame, if we, if we have a healthy response to it, it leads us to a place, we're going to see this in Psalm 51, that it leads us to a place of humility and dependence. Um, it leads us to a place of how much we need Christ. We talked a lot about that with fear last week. And shame is similar in that it, it really pushes us to humility and dependence, and it exposes our misplaced trust. So those are just some kind of introductory thoughts on, on what shame is. So obviously it's a very uncomfortable feeling. So we want to, we want to deal with it in some way. So what are some of the common ways, Dan and Sean, that you'd say that we try to deal with shame? Well, you've got on our notes here. Thank you for being so prepared, Ross. This is super helpful. Um, that we really see our, the example in Adam and Eve of hiding and blaming mm. as a way to deal with our shame. And I'm going to jump back on my hobby horse that I get on every single week. And it, and it's Giddy really, Let's yeah, go. I know it's really because I struggle with it. I am the chief of sinners in terms of my phone and social media use. I am not, I'm no, I'm, I'm offering that up freely to tell you that I don't do this from a place of judgment. Hopefully I do it from a place of just needing to hear it myself. And I think when we, as we think about shame, we're in a, we're in a time period in our culture where using our phone can really numb us to the deep realities that are going, the deep things that are going on inside of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about social media, um, instead of being uh, present with someone, we can just live on the surface online and, and keep up with people's lives. And we, we say that as our, as our good reason for using social media. But what it does is it prevents us from being with someone um, we can, you know, in, in person, spending quality time with them, getting to know them, trying to draw out their heart, allowing them to draw out our hearts. And, and it prevents us from having to ever go deeper than look at those cute pictures of their kids. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I post pictures of my kid, like, and she's know, beautiful and she, yeah, well, thank you. Um, we can thank Julie and God for that. Um, <laughs> so, but, and that, and some of that is good, but I think an overuse of it, an inordinate uh, amount of time spent on your phone 
Um, it, it prevents you from ever going deeper, uh, deeper. And one of the other things that we do on our phone is if you're, maybe you're not on social media, we tend to look these days for articles that prove our enemies wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, uh, make us feel better about our own position or f- better about ourselves because others look foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this really sneaky pride of, of emboldening our, uh, our own position so that others, and then we don't ever have to deal with maybe some of the faults in the ways that we think. And, you know, it just, it really just numbs us to the, um, to reality and, uh, it, it keeps us from ever having to, to dig down deeper than, than just on the surface. Yeah. I like how one of the guys that we listened to a sermon on shame, he, he was talking about that, Sean, and the way he put it, just instead of being in the presence of someone where I can make a mistake, I, w- I will live in the world of social media so I can perfectly and meticulously craft a message that will control your perception of me. I'm going to numb the reality of living in the real world. And, and I th- just thought that was such a helpful way of kind of capturing one of the things that can drive us to social media. So, yeah, well put. Yeah, I think blame shifting, as you mentioned, but just becoming defensive when someone calls you out on brokenness, even in small relationships, I mean, small conflict. Well, you also, you know, instead mm-hmm. of just saying, yeah, yeah, I didn't do that. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think it's so easy to want to push away so you don't feel the hurt. And then I think trying to use our giftedness to prove our worthiness, so overachieving. Mm-hmm. And lots of times you mm-hmm. won't think of overachievers as really dealing with shame, but overachievers mm-hmm. are often uh, – pursuing that so that they don't feel the shame and the worthlessness that's inside mm-hmm. and those inner voices that are making them feel like they're a fraud. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, some other examples that I've, I've heard and, and just in my own thinking are just, you think of the person who, these are all kind of examples of hiding ways. We kind of hide it, try to control it or, or put it to the side as, you know, someone who's maybe the life of the party, some people are like that and, and it's beautiful and they do it in the right way, but others it can be this sense of just trying to, you don't want to see the real me. Um, and you know, there's so many other examples, but these are all strategies of self-sufficiency, which is really important. And that's going to come up in Psalm 51. And I, I think of the fig leaves of Adam and Eve. Um, it's just, just like they kind of try to put fig leaves, sew fig leaves together to cover their shame um, instead of when God came and brought them clothing, um, that's, you know, we're still dealing with that today, you know, trying to cover our shame by with our own ways of doing it, either hiding or blame shifting. I mean, you can even, you know, in terms of like blame shifting, you can even do that towards yourself. You can start, it's called contempt. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when shame at its worst in our own lives is called contempt. And that's this sense of just completely hating yourself and we've kind of talked about that already but it's not just that was a stupid thing that I did it's I am stupid um and then of course yeah anger stay away or or you'll see me or you know shaming others shames people shame others mm. um it's putting others down to make yourself feel better so there's all kinds of unhealthy ways that we deal with shame and so <clears throat> Uh, I wanted to turn to the Psalms now and and kind of reflect on some healthy ways to deal with it. And I heard a quote recently about the Psalms that was really helpful. It says, most of the Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. I thought that was a helpful way to just get at some of the, how helpful and, and, and encouraging the Psalms are. And, 
you know, thinking of those categories, you know, shame is feeling worthless, exposed and rejected. And there's different Psalms that can maybe speak to some of those more specific categories, you know, feeling worthless. Psalm 139 is really helpful. You know, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It just really shows the dignity of how loved we are. Um, feeling exposed, which we're going to talk about today, Psalm 51, is really good for that specific feeling of shame or feeling rejected. Psalm 121 can be a great one to just um, see how much we are held by God and kept by him. So Psalm 51 is definitely one example of how to pray our shame. It definitely gets out a lot of guilt as well. We're going to talk about guilt next week. And there's it's almost two sides of the same coin, guilt and shame. You can talk about them similarly. We almost did that, but we thought it would be helpful to divide them out. And Psalm 51 invites us to consider what if our shame can lead us to vulnerability, which becomes a place of healing and real connection with God and other people. And so the context of this psalm, of course, as many of you probably know, Psalm 51 is the, is David wrote it in response to his um, interaction with Bathsheba and all, all that he did with that. And, um, and then his trying to cover up um, just his shame from that. And, and um, his friend Nathan came to him and, and told him this parable of a man who um, had, I'm forgetting it off the top of my head, but told him a parable and got David to really get mad at this person in this parable. And then Nathan was able to say, you are that man who did that. And, uh, you know, David had, um, slept with another man's wife and then had the, that man killed to kind of begin covering it up and in just a very dark moment in David's life. And so this Psalm is him processing that. And, um, yeah, David is forced to deal with the fact that he's exposed and he's a failure um, the thing he hoped no one would find out that no one ever sees, he's forced to admit that God sees it and that his friend sees it. So what does David do with his shame first? It's interesting. Um, it's believed that it was probably six to 10 months after the, his sin with Bathsheba that he finally was exposed by Nathan. And so he had a lot of, a lot of time of trying to hide it and cover it. And, um, one person that I, one sermon I was listening to on this, he, he talked about um, how at the end of Psalm 51, it's a long psalm. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm actually going to walk through it kind of non-linearly. But at the end of the psalm, in verse 16, he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And why would God not be pleased with this? Of course, God commands this. And so there's something more specific David is getting at, and it's in the next verse. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And earlier in the psalm, you know, David had said, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And there's a sense you can get from this part of the psalm that David is kind of um, highlighting how he would he could kind of use religion, especially as a, a, as the king of Israel, he could use religion to cover his shame, religious activity, which is something we're all tempted to do. We can um, try to look on the outside like a really good Christian to kind of keep a, a, an image out there so that people don't see some of the, the more flaws um, deeper inside of us. And I think there's a sense in which we can see David almost biographical at this moment in the psalm. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it, but a broken spirit is the sacrifice God really wants. He, those rituals that God had them go through, He wants those are to get at their heart. 
And, um, and so that, that's a really interesting insight into kind of how David was probably one of the ways he was probably hiding his shame. Of course, he tried to cover it up with dealing with Uriah and the way he did and having him killed. But then we see the healing of shame all throughout this psalm. And, and there's a really um, helpful illustration in one of the books that I um, have read on shame. It's called Unashamed. And, and this author talks about how people who film sharks were interviewed. And it's like, how do you not get afraid of the sharks when they're swimming right at you? And they said, we've done, we've learned some things about the psychology of sharks is that if you uh, – encounter them and you start swimming towards them they their their psychology in their brain they're they're usually they're used to fish swimming away from them if something's swimming at them it triggers something in them that oh you know i'm not going to go after this thing anymore because it's coming after me um and and the author says this is what we have to do with shame we have to to take it head on and um ed welch in his book has some categories that i'm going to go a little deeper into later but kind of his three main categories of how to deal with it is to, to put your shame into words and then turn to your rescuer in faith and then turn towards others in vulnerability. And uh, I think we see examples of this in this psalm of David doing this and, and healing from his shame. He admits his shame. I mean, even in the introduction to the psalm, he, um, he talks about, he, he reminds people of his sin with Bathsheba. Um, but then you even see in verse 8, his bones... Uh, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And he's showing just how deeply he was affected um, by the shame. But then there's this self-awareness in verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So he's at this place of admitting his sin. So he, 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 he admits it. He's, he's aware, but then he turns to God and um, it's really fascinating. You read this whole Psalm and David makes no appeals about himself all the requests in this psalm are requests to God. He's almost saying anything that's going to happen has to come from you, God. And so David is in this place of complete humility in this psalm. Um, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And um, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, creating me a clean heart. Just this place of utter humility. Um, this, this pastor I was listening to, he said, David is experiencing the only thing that's scarier than shame, and that's grace. And I thought that was really provocative. Grace requires the posture of complete vulnerability um, because you have to let go of all self-sufficiency. Yeah, I like one of the things you said in there, too, just the humility versus humiliation. Hmm. You know, I think that's where guilt and or the healthy side of shame can move us towards humility before the God, rec- before God, recognize our brokenness, where humiliation keeps us from running to God, from, keep, makes us hide. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I think we should it shouldn't be lost on us that it was a face to face conversation. And I think mm. the ways that we maybe our busyness and our daily lives get in the way of having deep, meaningful friendships, maybe mm-hmm. prevent some other folks coming alongside us and in love, helping expose things in our life so that we can move into vulnerability and humility and 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 gain some of this this character that we might be missing out on if we if we are not 
you know, in close relationships with people or invite people into our lives to speak into it. It's is not, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a quippy Facebook comment. It's not a, a sub, uh, you know, a passive aggressive thing. This is a direct confrontation, um, which leads to this beautiful experience of grace that David has humility and enters further into vulnerability to, um, to face what he has probably been, probably been re- wrestling with deep down for six to 10 months. That's, that's wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, even the fear of rejection, right? I mean, there's, there's one person who I walked with for a long time, uh, with the besetting sin and, and kind of in the beginning, they would hide from me. They wouldn't, mm-hmm. they wouldn't get back to me. They wouldn't reach out to me. And over time and being faithful and reminding them, I love you. The Lord loves you. All of our sins are covered in Christ. Um, the person began to quit hiding. They'd be willing to come. They'd, they'd know I was pursuing them out of love. They didn't feel ashamed. They didn't feel humiliated. They mm-hmm. felt convicted. And sometimes it'd still hide a little bit, but then they'd know, no, he's for me. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the ways we can uh, be the presence of, of Christ for other people and not come in with, a, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. You know, instead of like, no, me, me too. I'm broken too. Mm. No, that's super important. It's very important. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, this Psalm does a great job of just showing the character of God. You know, David's making all these appeals to that. And I think, um, he, he, he has this confidence in God's steadfast love and abundant mercy. And I think this side of the cross, we have all the more confidence as we too, like David are to, to kind of turn to, to God in, in our shame, how much more can we bank on his character? Um, you know, one, the, one of the sermons I was listening to on this, he talks about how, uh, from a child who would descend from Bathsheba. So what a cool story of how God, you know, brings redemption out of this, this mess mm-hmm. that Jesus comes from, uh, Bathsheba and God will, from a child descendant from Bathsheba, God will take on flesh and walk the earth and the only person on earth with nothing to be ashamed of. But it, what's interesting is at the cross, all four one of the descriptors that all four of the gospels make um, about the, the situation at the cross was that Jesus was crucified naked without his clothing. And there's a sense there that you see that he is bearing the shame and especially the connection to Genesis two um, and the naked and without shame. And he, he is bearing our shame. <clears throat> you know, all this stuff in our lives, we don't want people to see Jesus is covered in that. Um, so he, he makes the first move towards our shame, which kind of frees us to come as we are to him. And, and Hebrews 12 sort of explains all of this, that Jesus, uh, despised the shame of the cross and, um, that he is not ashamed of us. Hebrews also talks about, and so shame is never healed on our own. It's only through Jesus. And, and Dan, you had a good quote about that. You don't have to read the whole thing, but just this idea that it, Shame is something our whole culture is talking about, but the way they're trying to heal from it is inadequate. You know, they're, they're looking to um, kind of within or even just sharing it with others, which are helpful things, but we'll never fully heal it. Yeah, he was just making the point that we are finally in many ways showing where places where there's been shame, oppression, abuse, demeaning words, and that as a community, we can talk about those things, but it doesn't give the power to diminish the contaminating power of sinful mistreatment Mm -hmm. and so particularly now when there is a lot of shame being pushed out sometimes inappropriate shame there's no atonement there's no justification 
And so this is really an opportunity for Christians to proclaim the good news that is specifically for the humiliated, the rejected, the discarded, those who have uh, sinned against other people and be able to hear the good news that, no, all your sins are forgiven in Christ. You are lovable mm-hmm. and you are loved in Christ. And again, another plug for uh, Gentle and Lowly, but Dane mm-hmm. Orland's book. Uh, someone shared a critique with me that uh, someone didn't like the book because everyone believes in a God of love. We don't need to emphasize this. And I'll just tell you, as I sit down with people, they may abstractly believe God is a God of love, and some people use that as an excuse for sin. Most people I know really struggle to believe that they are deeply loved by God for who they are and not what they do. Yeah. And I think you shared already on this podcast a couple weeks ago, but just the fact that of how successful that book is Mm -hmm. doing is just a testament to how much... Uh, people are really dealing with shame and how that this the the picture of Christ's gentle and lowliness towards us is such a um a needed teaching and in August we should get about hundred and fifty of those books that oh, we can cool. give out free so awesome yeah all right um and I love how the psalm ends it kind of makes it take not just between me and God but it, but kind of makes it even a more of a community aspect and focus. The psalm ends, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered. And it's just this picture of a flourishing community. And it's just this sense that dealing with our guilt and shame um, in a healthy way with God is actually impacts the community. That as we come to God with this and find healing, that... Um, it, it frees us to to move towards others, and it can really help um, build the community as well. And that's that's part of the healing process too, is just turning towards others, turning towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, I want to jump in just real quick. I'm reading a a book that's looking at one century of church history each month, and it just talked about the world should believe and leaders should believe that Christians will be the best citizens because of how they will live and how they will love. And as we do that, actually, now, I think in many ways, people are saying, no, you, you that's not truth. You can't speak the hope of the gospel. And yet, I think more and more, as we live as Christians who can be people who can show forgiveness and mm. deal with shame in appropriate ways, we have a real opportunity for witness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've definitely gotten at some of this, guys, but just kind of in summary and in closing, how can we cooperate with God in helping either ourselves or um, others uh, heal from shame? I think it's this, it's this experience of grace and truth. Like, you know, it's in our notes here, but we, you know, it's this understanding and being able to w- wake up and receive mercy daily mm-hmm. um, and, and remind ourselves of, of who we are in Christ. I for a long, for a while I had a, just a quick, I can't even remember the, the phrase, but I would wake up and I would remind myself of who, who I was. Now that mm-hmm. helped me in, in some other areas of struggle where I was, you know, maybe struggling with temptation or lust. Um, and it was reminding me of who I was instead mm-hmm. of who I wanted to be maybe in my worst moments. But I think as we wake up and we remind ourselves of the truth, which is grace, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, grace is a true thing. We don't have to separate those two, those two things. And so I think as we, um, as we can, uh, you know, preach to ourselves and remind ourselves mm-hmm. of these truths, it goes from knowledge to belief and mm-hmm. living out of those realities. I think as we continually remind ourselves of, of that grace and truth uh, mixing together. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we're both sinners and saints, right? And so if we remember that about ourselves, then we can come in humility to others who also, like us, are sinners and saints, who are broken, who are gifted, who are fearfully, wonderfully made in other ways and struggle in other ways. And so if we're not shocked by other people's sins or categorize what is worse and what is um, acceptable and really come with humility, then I think we can sit with people where they are and help them wade through into repentance and faith and growth and change over time. Yeah. One of the greatest resources we have is time, but we don't necessarily see it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, time belongs to us. It's ours to, to mm-hmm. give and dole out and, and to keep and to hoard. I think what you're speaking to is spending time with people <laughs> and being willing to sit with them and be patient and, 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 I don't know, be grace to them almost as they wade through some of the more challenging things. It takes time to get to get to that place with someone. And so I think I, I'm, you know, beating this dead horse, but you know, Nathan with David and being willing to actually sit and, and, yeah. and expose this at risk to his own life. Yeah. Um, right. You know, uh, yeah. it, it cost Nathan. Killed him. Yeah. David could have killed him. <laughs> it cost Nathan something to do this. Yeah. Um, but he was deeply convicted and cared about David enough yeah. to do this. And so I think it takes time and that's just something we're not as willing to give, um, these days. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of my own thoughts on this, uh, thinking more like personally, um, in our own processing our shame with God. I, I really like Ed Welch's little sheet that I've already alluded to, but he kind of has three things to walk through. Put your shame into words. You know, what happened? How do you still carry it with you? How do you feel like an outcast or exposed or worthless? And what response are you tempted to make towards the shame right now? Are you tempted to hide it um, and cover it up or numb it? Um, or are you tempted to kind of blame shift and, and make someone else feel bad? And what does that look like for you? So put it into words, but then turn to your rescuer in faith. Know him. That real honor is to know God, Jeremiah 9. Be associated with him. You know, we aren't very good at talking back to the shame, so let the let the king have the last word. And there's so many verses that can help with that. And um, get ready to fight. You know, what are the lies in your feeling of shame? And what is the truth? And what idols are being exposed? And so turn to God with these things. And then turn towards others in vulnerability. You know, shame wants us to isolate ourselves, but, you know, being reminded that we are clothed and cleansed, who can we reach out to and talk to about our shame? And 1 John 1 kind of gets at some of the importance of that. And, you know, for me, even recently, I I had a a meeting that I led a couple months ago that I just felt like didn't go very well. And I just was feeling down after it. And and I, I think really feeling some shame about it. And I was able to do some of those things that, that were really helpful in that moment. Um, just, I, I kind of wrote down a list of, okay, what, what went well in this meeting and what, and I was able to, I was surprised at just how big that list ended up being and then what didn't go well. Um, and, and even though I was feeling so much shame that the list of things that went well versus what didn't, um, there were so many more things that went well than didn't. Um, and it was just a helpful to just put it on paper um, but then I brought them to the Lord in prayer and, and for me, songs are really helpful. And, and uh, one song that I can sometimes go back to is my worth is not in what I own by Keith and Kristen Getty. And just listen to that, that song and kind of prayerfully, um, singing it, um, what was very helpful to me. And, um, and then just, you know, talking to one or two people about some of the shame also helped lower it as well. Um, 
Yeah, and then Sean, you mentioned grace and truth. I think those are two important elements of moving towards others and, and caring for them. You know, listening in, in grace, listening and understanding their shame. Um, even sharing, I think Daniel were talking about this, just how you can relate to them. And even helping them to see maybe parts of their story that might impact their shame. You know, we tend to like latch on to these core beliefs that maybe earlier in our lives were, were developed, even unbeknownst to us. And one person said, identifying shame's development in your life is crucial in your journey to becoming free from shame. But then there's a truth element as well. Helping people see some of the lies, um, the things that they're believing that are not true. And, and even listening for black and white thinking. You know, I'm always this way. I'm never this way. And really kind of challenging that black and white thinking. But then thinking about any idolatry that's affecting the shame. But also I think being an encourager is really important in helping care for people in shame and just being able to speak truth into their life and help them see beautiful things about them that they may not see as well. Um, and then just, yeah, I think you guys already talked about just loving them despite their flaws. Uh, I think it's very corrective to someone to really experience unconditional love that maybe they haven't experienced from other people that have really damaged them. And, and so it's like an emotionally corrective experience as some, some have said. So, um, that's, you know, some thoughts about shame in a nutshell, uh, what it is, how we deal with it, how the Bible moves us towards healing, uh, and ultimately at the cross. Um, I know this is really helpful for us. Hope it was for you. Next time we will talk, um, kind of the other side of this coin and talk about guilt. And we look forward to doing that until then grace and peace to you all. Shoes and dance.